Macro Podcast number 422 for August 27th, 2014. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. As we mentioned last week, Serenity is on the road. She's on vacation. She's heading uh, north. And so, in order to uh, replace, not replace, but substitute for Serenity, I have once again invited the two Dans, two of the three Dans, and uh, Dan Frakes would be one. Hello, Dan. Thank you, Chris. We could, we could, even two Dans cannot replace a Serenity. Uh, you're right. I think it's a five Dan problem. Um, and then the, of course, we the other one is Mr. Dan Morn. Hey, Dan. Hi, Chris. The exchange rate is fluctuating for Dan's, so you, you got to keep an eye on the market. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't have that page up right now, but. Uh, yeah, last time I looked, it was I think it was a five to one. Seems so, right. Seems yeah, we'll right. do the best we we possibly can. You can do that in Google, you know. Just say convert Dan's to Serenities, and, and it just happens. Yeah. Wow. I, I tells, tells you the current rate. Okay. Good. Um, slow week because we're <laughs> really yeah. It's a slow week. August. Yeah, which is a terrible way to lead off a podcast. It's like, oh, good. Why am I listening? Good night, everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, because we're all waiting for the, the September event, the alleged September event to happen, when Apple is going to unleash all kinds of things. Oh, but, I thought you were talking about the Microsoft September event. And thanks, thanks for reminding me. My dad keeps telling me that he's like, oh, I see Apple's going to have an event on September 9th. I'm like, supposedly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, he seems pretty convinced in whatever websites he's reading. Right, because who confirmed? I think it was Wall Street Journal and Recode, but we haven't heard Dalrymple yet say, yup. Um, so let's call him right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. On the, on the spot. You should have a hotline where you call and it's just a recording that says, yup or nope. I like that. It's like going back to the 90s style technology. It's like when my, my Frisbee League used to have like a hotline to call if the games were rained out. And of course, now they have, you know, a website and email, but that takes me back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that doesn't mean that nothing has happened. And so we're going to talk a little Apple stuff, and then we'll talk a little bit of other stuff as well. First thing is the announcement is that Apple is going to replace some iPhone 5 batteries. Now, this is not the 5S and not the 5C, but rather the original iPhone 5, with the idea that they are draining faster than they should be. Apple has recognized that there is an issue. You can go to a website, enter your serial number, if you can see it, or you can go through iTunes to find it. And then if so, you can take it to your local Apple store, or you can ship it in and they will give you a new battery. And I believe it's all for free. So the big question is here, is Apple doomed as we say on the internet with lots of o's um or should we just say good on you apple for doing the right thing doomed move on next next one (laughs) (laughs) i'll say good on you apple because if it weren't for the fact that i was a horrible procrastinator i would have paid for this replacement (laughs) like months ago my wife's iphone 5 actually has had horrible battery life for at least six months now where literally within a few hours it's down to like 40 percent and uh, uh, doing nothing. So I've actually been meaning to take it in to get a battery replacement. And hey, what do you know? Now it's free um, because it is in the the the, uh, the affected serial number. So we've got an appointment tomorrow, actually, to go get a new battery. Excellent. So what? since you actually have lived this, the tragedy that, that is the draining iPhone 5 battery, what's it like? I mean, did was the phone fine for a while and then suddenly it just went... Bloop. You know, I'm trying to, I, it, it's great. It happened gradually, although not as gradually as you would have thought. Um, 
I gave this iPhone 5 to my wife when I got an iPhone 5S last fall, mm-hmm. and it did pretty well. I mean, it, it was okay for a while, and then this spring, all of a sudden, she kept she started complaining about, you know, hey, my battery's dead halfway through the day. And um, I did all the tricks, you know, I restored it, I went through and checked all of her settings, all the background app refresh, all those things. Um, you know, we got it to get a little bit better, but even even then, you know, if she was doing anything on it other than just standby mode the entire day, um, the battery would just drain super quickly. She would she would not be able to make it through the day without charging. And then what was the process like of of getting the appointment? Was it really as simple as going to the website, entering the serial number, and said, hey, come on down on Tuesday? And no, actually, it. what it does is it just you, you go and you enter your serial number, and if you're affected, it says either call us or schedule an appointment. And then there's no special, I'm scheduling an appointment for this warranty thing. It just takes you to your local Apple Store's website where you schedule a, a genius appointment. And then like in your comments, you can add, I'm coming in to change this darn battery or whatever, but it's just a normal genius bar appointment. Okay. Well, I think one thing that's interesting about this is how easy this is to do now in Apple stores. It used to be when you took gear in, right? They'd say, okay, we'll have it back to you in a week or five days or something because they had to send it out. And my understanding now is most Apple stores do repairs, even extensive repairs on site. Yeah. I, I, I have seen them do minor repairs while you wait they'll tell you to come back in a half an hour an hour uh and in fact i think it was was it last month they started actually doing screen replacements in the store Mm -hmm. was it last month or the month before it was uh, earlier this summer yeah yeah so they're doing actually most repairs nowadays in fact um it wasn't that long ago i think it was the iphone 4 and 4s where any kind of change that you did they would essentially just give you a a, right a a new phone or reconditioned service phone right then and there just swap it out and now they're actually doing repairs I think it would be great if they would do them in front of you, uh, sort of like a sushi bar where you get to see them make your food and go, wow, look at that. You know, it's good. They could like put a plastic divider up that you could see through and you just kind of watch I, them do it. I think they should just make the back, the back wall of the store just glass right into the back of the house there. Oh, yeah. So you can just see all the all those Apple employees going about their business. They probably don't want you to see all the stuff they're doing back there because they're probably having like like Nerf gunfights and stuff. Yeah, or they have like broom handles. I, I used to, a summer job of mine was working in a shoe store. And they say, oh, yeah, we'll take this out on the uh, stretching machine. You go back there and you put it on a broom handle and you just tweak the <laughs> hell out of the shoe. To, yeah, oh, yes, well, it's very scientific. Here, <laughs> give this a go. Oh, they're probably, you know, maybe they're still replacing the phone. So they just, you know, oh, yeah, we'll fix that. And they take your phone in the back and they throw it in a big bin and then they pull out a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'd like, the, I'd like the idea, though. It would be sort of like this, you know, the CNN. Um, Oh, yeah, newsroom, right? Yeah, yeah. While all the people in the back there have to look really busy all the time during work, and you know they're really playing Angry Birds or something as long as they're... That man is playing Galaga. Yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of the pizza store down the street where you, where you want to make the pizza while you're... I think that that's a but, certain yeah. amount of... That's accountability, right? Like, that's a transparent... That's like when they send election monitors. You know, you gotta... You want to make sure that your pizza's getting made correctly and that they're not doing anything to your pizza, right? Yeah. It's a humanitarian issue, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, well, I know that Apple is going to be rejiggering the, the retail stores now that Angela Anders has taken over. So um, there's a suggestion for you. Uh, yeah, call be, us. Yeah, give us a call. We got lots of them, but I like the idea of repairing right in front of you just to see uh, see the genius sweat. I got to say the the battery thing is interesting to me because the battery thing is one of those 
it's one of those complaints that comes up for pretty much every user of any electronic device with a battery, right? It's eventually mm-hmm. says, oh, yeah, the battery life is not what it used to. And battery life does degrade over time. Um, obviously, there are some cases where it's more, uh, you know, visible than others and in cases where, you know, you have these these defects where it, it's just sort of absurdly fast. But I feel like every time a new iOS update, for example, comes out, you get people talking about the battery life. And I would bet then more often than not, the battery life is pretty close to the same. Um, but people that have, there is sort of a, a, not quite a placebo effect, but there is an effect of like, oh, well, I changed it. The battery life must be different now. But I would guess it probably doesn't vary wildly in most cases. There have definitely been updates where it's it's taken a hit on battery life because of bugs. But I feel like, you know, m- more often than not, it tends to be pretty close to usual. It's just we have a perceptional change. But at the same time, I, I think it's it's a really interesting um, you know, that, that these flaws exist and that they have to fix them. The batteries, you know, technology, of course, being so central to so many of the devices we use every day. What's what's next, I wonder? It, it, it sort of goes hand in hand with that whole, like, <laughs> Apple slows down old phones when they come out with new ones. Which I just is my favorite story. Yeah, my favorite story. Yes, yes, they send gnomes to all of your houses that are slowly gumming up your iPhone at night <laughs> when you're not looking. Guess what? A lot of that is just, again, you see some one of your friends that has a faster new phone. You're like, oh, yeah, my phone is so slow. But, like, you know, and definitely there are, it's, it's older hardware. It's, you know, it's a year or two old phone. It's not that it's gotten that much slower than it was before. It's just that you, now you have a new benchmark to compare it to. Well, and Apple's always been very good about making new operating systems backward compatible with older iOS devices. And then people complain this is almost every year where the people with the very oldest supported device install the newest OS and they're like, wait, this is slower than the old one. It's like, well, it's a new OS that does a lot more things and mainly intended for new hardware. So yeah, it's going to be slower. Um, and so every year we get that, right? Where the yep. iPhone 4 runs iOS 7 horribly, you know? Yeah, Android and, doesn't have this problem because you can't put the new software on most phones. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. I think that when you get articles like that New York Times article that claimed that, you know, Apple was purposely slowing down old <laughs> phones, that I think... It was just they, they don't need on. to slow them down. You're going to want to upgrade anyways. Yeah, they don't I need mean, to do anything. That's it, ridiculous. It, it makes me wonder how much of that is them going online for a Google search and finding, you know, thousands of complaints from people with four year old hardware that their phone is slower yeah. with a, a, an operating system that came out three years after. And the phone we was all used. know how difficult it is to find people complaining on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like these people have never been serious about computer gaming. Where they say, oh, uh, oh wow, I mean, my four-year-old machine runs Diablo 2 beautifully, but try to put Diablo 3 on there, and it sucks. It's like, well, yeah, because it's you know demanding more of your processor, and it's Some- not because they're in league with the PC makers. It's just they want to make awesome games. Someone might also want to explain to these people the concept of the Earth going around the sun and spinning mm. on an axis and yeah. entropy and all this good stuff. You think? Hmm. Okay, um, next, next subject is uh, Mr. John Gruber, who we greatly respect, um, had an interesting way to talk about what he thinks the next iPhone is going to be, where he published a long piece where he did a lot of math. And um, when I read through the piece, I thought, well, that's an interesting thing. And then on my second reaction was like, wow, we have really descended into technology fetishism here when um, you need to pull out the high-powered spreadsheet and say, how many pixels could a 5.5-inch 
display require versus a 4.7. So I thought it was an interesting exercise in math. But beyond that, does the general public care all that much? Or, or actually, Dan, I think, Dan Moran, sorry. I thought your reaction to it was good because I proposed this to you and you said... Well, I mean, I don't know that the general public necessarily cares, but I think the point is John is a nerd like so many of us and so many of us obsess over these tiny little details. Um, so there's definitely a niche that's really interested in these things. And I think he's he's scratching that itch probably for himself mostly, but also for his readers who tend to be of a, you know, nerdish bent, let's say. Um, but it's also an interesting way to talk about these rumors of larger screen iPhones and sort of help figure out whether or not we all hear so many rumors these days and we've been hearing rumors of larger iphones for gosh a year now um and this helps actually apply some you know math constraints to it in figuring out what's plausible uh, and i thought that was the interesting point of his take is well here's what apple does here's the way apple does things and what can we glean from the information that we've seen and based on the constraints of what's available, what we're actually likely to see? You know, because he makes the points, for for example, that Apple is probably not going to release any device that has a worse screen than the current devices, because not only would that be really, really weird from a marketing perspective, but it's it's not something it doesn't fit with the pattern of what Apple does. So given that, and given the kind of metrics he lays out, not just in terms of the resolution of devices, but also in terms of the usability of devices, like how big are the icons on the screen that you're actually trying to hit with your finger? Um, you know, he sort of puts some constraints on it and figures out, well, here's the kind of technology we're going to be looking at in order to produce a screen that's going to fit within the quality standards that Apple demands. And I, and I think that's really interesting, given that we've you know, heard all this from about 4.7 to 5.5 inch iPhones. Um, you know, trying to figure out, well, is it feasible? Is it plausible? Is there is the technology in a right place that those numbers line up and make sense? So I thought it was an interesting way of sort of orthogonally coming at this same thing without just saying there's going to be bigger iPhones. Like this is actually talking about the technological constraints and whether such larger iPhones would work in practice. Um, and, and there will always be people who will read this stuff in the same way that we all really enjoy Trying to read John Syracuse's 30-page <laughs> OS X reviews every year. People love this stuff. Um, there was actually, I think, uh, Dan Miller sent us a link this morning uh, in an interview in the, I think it's in the Columbia Journalism Review yeah. with John Syracuse about about this very thing. It's like, well, you write this one once a year, you know, you write a giant thing. And how is that, you know, how is that received? Is that a uh, interesting audience? Is there an interesting audience in that? And the answer is absolutely. People read the heck out of that thing. You know, they even fork over money for it. He, he releases it in like ebook format now. So there, there will always be an audience for these things. It's sort of the great long tail of the internet. Yeah, and I think also um, one approach he's taking is something I think that a lot of us do, which is a, a rumor is out there long enough where you think, okay, I think there's credence here, particularly when there are enough people backing it up who you trust and then you work backwards and say okay if that is true then how is it implemented and i think right. that's always right. an interesting way to look at um at upcoming developments um try to second guess apple and think all right if i worked at apple and somebody came down to me and said okay you have to have a 5.5 inch diagonal screen make it work and then try to put the pieces together and figure out the math. And like, wow, okay, that would work this way. So it is sort of interesting to see um, John cogitating publicly on that. It may add some credence to the fact that it's actually going to happen, because generally when John talks about something, 
it does happen. He doesn't pull this stuff out of uh, dark places. Um, although he did, he would care, took pains to say, nobody's told me anything on this. Uh, there have been other cases where he uses the code, a little birdie told me, which means somebody at Apple has talked to him about this. In this case, he was very clear up front. Nope, I don't know. This may not happen, but, but this is what I think. Well, I, I think Dan got it exactly right in terms of his rationale for everything. And it also, I think, is important to remember what John's audience is. It's it's the Apple enthusiasts who, on the one hand, who want to know as much as possible and want just they're just anxious to hear, right? They, they want to know anything they can figure out about upcoming devices. But the other side of it is that John also has a huge number of developers in his readership. And for them, it's not just idle speculation about how big or what, you know, what the, what the phone's going to look like. It's, I've got an app, I've got a fix and it's got to be, I got to start thinking about what these changes are going to do for how my app looks and how it functions. And so I think there was a huge amount of interest there from the developer standpoint in what John was saying, because, you know, he's actually saying, these are some dimensions that I think are going to happen. These are what you're going to need to do to your apps to make things still usable um, and so I think there was a huge amount of interest on on that front as well, in addition to just the general, you know, rumor mongering set who wants to hear as much as they can about something that's not been released. Yeah, excellent point. Um, other things happening: uh, Facebook, our friends at Facebook, are going to try to weed out clickbait. We are in the journalism business versus the clickbait business. I hope. Um, interesting that uh, that they're going to try to do this. What do you think is behind this? Is a, a bid to be more credible as a news source. They've just had enough like the rest of us or, or they're trying to drive these poor companies out of business. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I think there probably is a certain amount of public perception that is at work here. Um, certainly there's a lot of clickbait that goes around and trying to filter that out does mean, you know, reducing, improving your signal to, to noise ratio, right? So that the people clicking through, have uh you know a reasonable expectation of what they're getting to that said people seem to really like clickbait because that's why they keep clicking on it so it's a weird thing for facebook i think in some ways to put itself as a you know i don't know if it's an arbiter of editorial content or an arbiter of taste or whatever you want to call it but it's a it seems slightly strange for them to insert themselves into that process and and you know my gut reaction is to feel like well Something there has to benefit Facebook at yeah, the right. end of the day, right? You know, there's got to be a reason why it wants it wants to improve that. And maybe it's, you know, as simple as it wants to have an algorithm that it can tune towards, you know, being smarter about content. And this is a fairly low-hanging fruit as far as that goes. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know. It's a, I don't use Facebook enough to say what it is, but it, it seems it seems like a very odd proposition, and I do end up wondering what what is behind it and what's in it for Facebook. So, Chris, I haven't seen all the details of this. What exactly do they do they do they term clickbait, and are they trying to reduce? Well, Dan, you won't believe what. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's those kinds of things, you know, that appear yeah, at the yeah. bottom of a lot the, of websites. The, buzz, the BuzzFeed The, um, the BuzzFeed kind of stuff. Yeah, like, you won't believe what these stars had for breakfast this morning. Well, so this is what gets me about this whole thing, is that they've announced this, but yet last month, they announced this new initiative to change your timeline so that instead of seeing all the most recent things from all your friends or, or the stuff that you know, you've chosen to see, um, they are promoting artificially. Well, they claim it's algorithmic, but I say there's some artificial 
ness to it. Um, the what's the right word for it? The most po- not even most popular. Basically, the that the hyped stories, right? Mm-hmm. The ones that people are passing around, the viral videos, the things that your friends are saying. Hey, you got to look at this. And so, on the one hand, they're they're changing your timeline so that it's less um, organic and less real, in my opinion. Um, by promoting this stuff. And then on the other hand, they're saying, oh, we're taking steps to reduce this. I'm not sure the two are in conflict. I think as, as Dan Morin says, this is really low hanging fruit. The stuff that is so obviously clickbait that people shouldn't be clicking on, but still do. But, but be- that's the thing, right? They do. Yeah. And so then it gets pushed up because of this new algorithm. So I, yeah. But yeah, how, do you fix, how do you fix people though? Like this is, yeah. a, this is not necessarily a technology problem is my feeling. It's a people problem. It's right. like it's like saying you're going to reduce sales of like People magazine at the checkout counter, and it's like you know what? There, there's a reason that stuff's there is because people like yeah. reading it, whether or not it's good for them or whatever. You know, we can argue that point. Um, but you know, if you're in a business of giving people what they want, which is not always the best business to be in, but uh, it's 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 weird. I think oh, it's, right. it's a little strange. I, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. And, it, and they're trying to fix a problem that they've created in in these. These two algorithmic, you know, things are are it seem to me in conflict with one another. So I'm curious to see how this turns out. Yeah, well, one of the things they're doing that I think is smart versus just saying, you know, any do not link to anything from the Huffington Post, for example, because they're notorious link uh, clickbaiters um, or other advertising agencies that do this sort of thing, um, or and they're not doing it by keyword either. You know, like you won't believe that, and they say, okay, all that's out. What they're part of what they're going to do is they're going to see how long you leave the service and then come back. So the indication here is if you click on something that's clickbait, you jump over there and you go, Ugh, and you immediately come right back. That's a hint to them like, OK, that's one of those stories. So I'm sure they're going to be looking at the source and they'll probably do some keywording stuff, but also a lot of it's going to be the reaction of the users. If they don't stick around to look at something, then they know, okay, those people were duped by this and that one is going to be targeted for see you later. And of course they may be promoting their partners at the end of all this, you know, which is like, oh, that's clickbait that we don't like, but these people are giving us money. And so we're okay. Okay, with their kind of clickbait, which seems very Facebookian to me. Yeah, well, I mean, if I were BuzzFeed, I'd be a little ticked off by this too, because I'm sure you get a decent influx of traffic from people, you know, passing your links around. So I can see them being like, "Well, why are you, you know, what gives you the right to decide whether or not people get to look at our stuff? If they want to look at our stuff, they should be able to look at our stuff." So it's a, it's it's a little weird with all the tinkering. You know, we've talked sort of as Dan Frakes mentioned the tinkering of your timeline and what you're seeing. And it's like if your friends are seeing all this thing, and you know, certainly there are plenty of clickbait articles that are amusing. Um, they're not necessarily high, you know, art or whatever. But you know, again, people come to a social network to see what their friends are saying. And if their friends are seeing, you know, viewing these articles, then it's it gets weird for them to editorialize on that. Yeah, well, I I do think they need better friends though. <laughs> That's a separate issue. If Facebook wants to start, you know, making my, you know, setting me up with better friends, that's a totally different story. They're just looking out for you. Dan, I, you, I you won't believe it. these terrible people you're, that are you're your right. friends. I, I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, let's see what else. Oh, Surface 2, Microsoft Surface 2 tablet has been discounted by $100. Now, um, it seems to be that in the headlines, this is really about Microsoft is just trying to get 
greater market share. And so this is a great opportunity for people to pick up Surface 2s and get on the bandwagon of Windows 8, which is awesome. Um, however, whenever Apple does something like this, they are once again doomed. Um, double standard? I'm I'm waiting. I'm I'm holding out actually a little longer. I'm waiting for Microsoft to pay me to get a Surface <laughs> Two. Uh, I figure that's coming along any day now. Yeah, I got to say, I I, <clears throat> I think what Chris is saying has a grain of salt to it. Um, a grain of truth, a grain of salt. Man, my metaphors are horrible lately. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, that there is a grain of truth to that. But I will say that I think. You know, Apple has gotten a little better press in the last year or so about these things. I've seen a lot of headlines in the tech press about, you know, Microsoft lowers price again, still trying, you know, and um, and there has been a lot more positive PR about Apple's, you know, like their stock buyback program, which is, it turns out, has incre- ended up with, you know... A, this, this, the uh, stock share prices have gone up dramatically since that started happening. And yet when it first started happening, there was a lot of criticism in the tech press about like, Oh, Apple's going to buy back. Wow. That's not good. You know, I, I, Steve Jobs would have never. And now all of a sudden there's all these positive things saying, Hey, look, Tim, Tim Cook's doing a good job. And you're like, wait, what? Um, so I think that the, the tech press has actually been a lot more positive to Apple as of late um, the last year, year and a half, than I remember in a long time. You still get, you still get, fully the, agree with that. But. You still get the doomed things now and then. But I'm just saying, it's not universal like it used to be. The the Macalope hasn't closed up shop yet. Yeah, so. exactly. No, there will always be Macalope fodder. But it, there is a double standard to it. And I, speaking of the Macalope, he always um, he always, he has a recurring bit about how future unannounced Microsoft products always beat the products that Apple's shipping. And there's a, you know, when reality rolls around and those Microsoft products actually ship, turns out that never really happens. Um, the Surface, I think, has been a troubled product in general. And, you know, they've, they, that first version, right, Microsoft took a huge write down on their profits from it, I think. Um, and certainly they're lowering prices. Now, this is, this is the year old Surface. Or as I say, this is the Windows RT Surface. I'm trying to remember because there is a Surface Three Pro. Right. This is this is the RT, and they're looking at that and kind of going. Eh, it's you know. the it's the iPad competitor rather than sort of the right. laptop competitor. Right. It's not the one they have with the ads with that MacBook Air right now. I think it's the one they use sometimes against the iPhone though. Right. But it's still. I was looking like at their at the PC World. Our colleagues over there wrote the story on this, and the base model still costs three fifty. Granted, it's got a decent amount of storage, but you know, again, it's one of the the Surface has been a problematic product because of its positioning, and it does want to do everything, and it seems like in a lot of cases it comes up short uh, on both competing against tablets and competing against laptops. You know, too too heavy, too bulky, too you know uh, un, unwieldy for a to compete with you know, say, an iPad or an iPad Mini. And not quite powerful enough to compete with your standard laptop, so that's a difficult, difficult middle ground to strike. And so, taking a hundred dollar discount on that, I don't know, it doesn't doesn't exactly make me feel like this thing must be awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's because the Surface really is Windows Eight become flesh, and it's so intimately tied to Windows Eight that I think you know the word is out. People hate Windows Eight. And they have for a long time. Even Microsoft is running as fast as it can away from Windows 8. It tried with 8.1 to try to redeem it. People just didn't buy it. 
And now you've got this product that really is like, hey, this is the embodiment of Windows 8 experience. What do you think? I hate it on my computer. I'm not going to buy it for this thing either. So maybe this means the end of Surface 2, maybe not the entire product line, but, uh, you know, reboot at Windows 9. Well, you know, the thing that I think uh, doesn't get mentioned enough is that people writing about the Surface they're regularly uh, compare it with the iPad. It's it's a Surface versus iPad. Surface, but I don't know that there's that much evidence that people looking at the Surface are people who might buy an iPad. Um, you get a lot of people who either buy an iPad or something else, and I kind of want to throw everything else together and say the Surface is really going up against like the Nexus tablets and Android tablets, which cost half as much. Um, y- you know, because I don't see a lot of people. In fact, I haven't met a single person personally who said, I'm trying to decide between an iPad and a Surface. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do get a lot of people who say, I don't really want an Apple. I don't want the Apple ecosystem. I mean, there are people like that, and I can respect what they're, you know, what they're saying. And so they're, they're the ones who are saying, I looked at the Windows, but I'm getting a Nexus because, you know, I, like you said, the, Windows 8 is it's still Windows. And I don't think people associate Windows with tablets. I think people say there's iOS and there's Android. I'm going to get a tablet, and that's what they, they're choosing from. You know, the, the Windows, the tablet-only ones, like the, the the Surface Pro, which, you know, they're pushing as an alternative to a laptop, I think is a different beast altogether. And that's actually gotten some decent reviews. But the, the low-end Surface, it feels to me like there's just no place for it, and nobody even really thinks about it when they're shopping for a tablet. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those instances where Microsoft thought, we're really going to innovate now. We're going to be like Apple, and we're going to release this product that's going to take up this certain portion of computing devices, and it just didn't work. It, it was neither a tablet nor a uh, nor a laptop, and, and much like Apple does but does it successfully, they try to find that in-between device that people are attracted to say, yeah, you know, my phone doesn't quite do it and my tablet doesn't quite do that. Oh, this is good. And it didn't happen. Uh, One, underpowered, overpriced, and and for all the reasons that Microsoft does things badly sort of on first release. But still, I don't know that there's a a world for this thing. Right. I mean, it seems like it's for the people who want a tablet and want Windows. And 10 years ago, when, if tablets were big 10 years ago, I think people shopping for tablets would have said, I really want a tablet that runs Windows because that's what I'm doing everywhere else. But I don't think that person exists too much anymore where they say, I'm going to buy X and I want it to run Windows. I think people see stuff nowadays. They see their phone as separate from their computer. They see their tablet separate from their PC and they buy what they want to buy in that sphere, which I mean explains why so many Windows users are using iPads and iPhones, right? Um, and so the, the, the market for someone who wants a tablet and insists on Windows, I just don't think it's there these days, whereas it might have been 10 years ago. I'm not sure it was there 10 years ago either. No, no. I mean, <laughs> if tablets had been big 10 years ago, I think it probably would have been there. Right. Because, but I think that's why tablets weren't big 10 years yeah, ago, because people got part this of it, yeah. Windows interface on there and went, huh? Yeah, and they said, yeah. oh, no, here, here's a stylus. Well, yeah, and they were they were bulky, and they were not designed for the pen input. I do know a few people who use them um, because they have had very specific, you know, jobs or what have you that that like really lent itself to having that ability. But they're few and far between, and mm-hmm. certainly it seems like 
you know, everywhere you turn now, people have are using iPads for these things, and I, I don't see too many surfaces in the wild. I see a couple every once in a while, but I've I've seen more iPads with keyboards than I've seen surfaces. Yeah, I'm always tempted to if I do see anybody with a surface, and I can't say I have, but maybe I will someday if I ever leave my house. Um, just to ask them why. Yeah, and not not in sort of that you know you don't you don't, you don't want you don't want just that's how you open your conversation. Excuse me. Why? 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 What is this? And I don't want to come across as like, oh, I'm an Apple guy, and uh, you know, I don't want to disparage what they're doing. I just, but I really, honestly think, what led you to this choice? I mean, as as Dan Frake says, Android has some wonderful options, iOS has some wonderful options, and then this is like the, huh? And maybe it is because your work is so tied to Windows that you need something like this. And that, that do does that. come up, I think. I think that is the number one thing that comes up when I talk to, and I have had conversations with people who have been considering the Surface. The number one thing I hear is, is, is Windows, is like Microsoft Office. And certainly you have the ability to do some Office stuff and productivity stuff on, you know, iOS devices or Android right. devices. But, you know, I think that the one that really comes up more often than not is Excel. And Excel, yeah. even in the in the iOS version, I think is not what it is in the Windows version. And there's a lot of people who rely on Excel sure. for their jobs, and I think that's that is the big thing that comes up. But well, yeah. I see them in out in public every once in a while in business settings. <clears throat> yeah. me, and I, yeah. and I feel like it's vertical markets where they've got particular software for their systems that you know they've got maybe a data entry or a scanning thing or or some kind of of client on the surface that is. The sur- not on the Surface like shallow, but on the on the actual Surface tablet that um, that that is tied in with a bigger Windows centric business system. It's funny though because I think that that was definitely the case. You know, when I was you know when I was working in IT, uh, you know, that was definitely the case. All the app- there were all these really specific niche apps for Windows machines, and there certainly yeah. are to a certain extent that that remains true, but. There are so many developed apps for iOS now. There are. That yes. That's almost it's that market is definitely shifting. I have seen way more people using specialized iOS apps um, than any time. I mean, certainly than ever were for the Mac. Um, and it's it's interesting to watch that as sort of a seismic shift because I do feel that the iPad has really challenged that vertical integration in a way that hasn't happened on any other platform. Um, and it's it's intriguing to watch because I think there the windows got stagnant. Uh, all those niche apps. There's so many of those niche apps were things that had like you know someone some business figured out like okay we're gonna make an app that does X and then they're like well we've made it we've sold it you know we do a little bit of support but like we basically just leave it un unchanged for years. You know there what comes to mind is that uh, there's a picture was it earlier this year or late last year of Tim Cook visiting the assembly line somewhere and people were making fun of the fact that there was an iMac running Windows in the background um, at one of the Apple plants. I think it might have been the one in Texas. Um, And people were like, oh, it runs Windows. Like, yeah, because some of that stuff requires very specific, like, you know, the the machining, milling stuff, machining stuff. All that's probably using software that was developed 10 years ago and (laughs) just doesn't get updated. Yeah, it looked like it was running a DOS app, actually. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, like, that's not uncommon if you were in one of these markets with the extremely specialized things or heavy industry or stuff like that. It's all legacy stuff. So, yeah, it's not surprising. Okay, well, if anybody listening to this podcast is a huge supporter of the Surface platform, uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, tell us why. And uh, if your reasons are any different than what we've proposed so far, um, I think that would be very interesting. We can talk about that on a future podcast. But let's wrap up with an announcement. Uh, We record this 
before you hear it, obviously, because we can't record it after you hear it. Um, a couple of months ago, Dan Moore, and we were talking about Aereo, and mm. uh, it was a s- service that you can, used. Can I, can I have a moment of silence for it? <laughs> yes, you may. Can we play some taps? Well, why don't you explain what it was? Aereo was a service that was uh, an online service that was basically a cloud-based DVR. So essentially you rented an antenna, you paid a monthly fee, and you got use of an antenna, a dedicated antenna in essentially a giant warehouse full of antennas located, if in my case, somewhere in Boston. Um, and I could use this to stream live TV to my phone or my laptop or my tablet, and I could record things and then watch them later via a web interface. Um, great, great service for me. Um, it only worked with obviously over the air HD signals, but it was really cool. I definitely used it on many occasions, definitely record stuff. Cause I don't, I don't have cable. I don't have a DVR, any of that stuff. So I, you know, rely mainly on streaming services, but this was a way I could actually watch. I think I used it to watch the Oscars, you know, or something like, so it was like, yeah, this is a great little service. So it was handy, but then the Supreme court decided it was entirely illegal. So <laughs> it, it no longer exists. <laughs> right. So TiVo today has made a bid for you and for me yes just for you and the idea is they're going to come out with a tivo box that um tivo romeo oca ota ota sorry over, over the, the air. air yeah and uh it's going to cost fifty dollars you're going to have to pay fifteen dollars a month to use the thing but essentially it's kind of going back to the old vcr days where you have a antenna connected somewhere to your home it brings in live tv and this is going to record it for you so is this your area replacement or is it lacking it's not bad um it's a little more expensive than area was both up front and on a monthly basis i think area only costs like eight like eight bucks a month like hulu plus or so um it's intriguing. I think the you know there are certainly limitations because you can only record over the air stuff, mm-hmm. um, and you certainly need to have a decent uh, a place where you can get reception. And this is one of the things that people who uh, you know a lot of Aereo subscribers were really annoyed about was you know if you're in a place for whatever reason geographically or what have you where you can't get a good signal. Anybody who's used HD over the air antennas knows that when you don't get a good signal, signal just goes away. It's not yeah. like in the old days where your signal gets fuzzy or whatever. It's like no, you just don't see that. Um, and so, for example, when I lived in, when I was in college, I, I lived in a place that was in like a valley. And so we could literally get one TV station over the air. Um, and so Aereo sort of fixed that by, you know, establishing a place since all the antennas were in the same place. Um, you got good reception because obviously they could decide to put it somewhere with good reception and then you could bounce it over the internet. So you just needed a decent internet connection. So you're still limited by that. Um, you know, essentially this is a watered down version of the TiVo because it just doesn't have the cable card slot that lets you record stuff via cable. It is substantially cheaper, um, at $50, um, but I don't know because again, you know, I watch a lot of shows, but I also rely heavily on streaming services. And so there's a lot of stuff that you can't get because it's on say, you know, basic cable or HBO or what have you. Um, I think it's an interesting play. I, I don't know how many of these they'll sell. Um, but it is, it is one of the things people forget that, you know, I think you can get great HD signals over the air. You can get, you know, really, really good looking broadcasts yeah. these days without paying for more than an antenna to hook up to your TV because so many people rely on cable and satellite. Uh, and so I think that's, it definitely has an attractive nature to it. And I think that, uh, the competitors are, are more expensive in some cases, um, 
or you have to do something a little more finicky, like you know, building your own DVR on your computer, which is not quite as ideal. Yeah. But I, I, th- I think it's a cool looking product. I'd be interested to try it out and see if I ended up using it that much. I think it, the the one thing that hampers it in my mind is that I think you need an additional if you want to stream your content to an iOS device. I think you need another box or another right. right. Yeah, that seems that seems silly. Yeah. Well, I w- I was saying beforehand to both of you that. What's interesting about this to me is that the TiVo boxes have always let you do everything that this does in that right, right. when you're setting it up, it says, are you using a cable provider or an antenna? And you select antenna and it's basically this device. Um, but they've lowered the price so much. I mean, it's $199 for the low-end regular TiVo Romeo and then this one's 50 bucks. So they've essentially said, if you get rid of all that cable card stuff, we're going to make it cost a quarter of what it normally would cost. So, I mean, they've really, and, and clearly they're aiming here also for things like the Apple TV and the, and the Amazon Firebox and stuff because it has Netflix and it has Hulu Plus built in. And, and um, I think that's key because I don't know anyone who is a cable cutter who doesn't make up for some of that by using but I, Netflix but I have, and Hulu I Plus. I have and stuff, four devices right? that can do that. Right, I don't right. need another one. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, at least this, it's all in one device. You turn on your TV and, it, you know, you can see over the air stuff and Netflix and, and Hulu plus from that device. But, uh, um, you know, it, it comes back though to the, the biggest obstacle to cord cutting still, at least for yeah. me is, yeah, I can still get, I can get Netflix and Hulu, like you said, on any device, like my toaster probably will do Netflix next year. Um, and I can get over the air, but still all the other stuff that right now, is still limited to cable, ESPN, um, you know, HBO Go, all these things that if you have a cable subscription, you can get on your iPad, but if you don't, you can't. And so yep. to me, that's the biggest question about devices like this is there's all these companies coming out with devices that say, hey, we can give you yet another way to do Hulu Plus, but we still can't give you HBO. Yeah, and you have to think that Apple's talking to HBO and a lot of these other companies is just saying, please, I know you have a very strong tie to cable and satellite providers, but that's not the future. And we would like to be the ones so that through the iTunes store, you could pay your 10 or 15 bucks a month and have access to all your content. How about it? I mean, at what point do we finally get to that day when it isn't about having to go to Apple TV and entering a code because you've you've uh, su- uh, subscribed to a particular cable or, or satellite provider. Is that day ever coming? Are they ever yeah, going to relent? It's a gradual erosion, I think, is what it is. And, you know, we haven't hit a tipping point in that relationship yet, um, which is to say there are still plenty of people who are paying for cable, um, whether they want it or not in some cases, yeah. um, well, and because that's it's how such these... a necess- necessity in some yeah. ways. Well, and that's how most of the cable channels stay in business is that – Everybody pays for right. it, even if no right. one watches, even if not everyone watches it. Yep. You know, um, HBO might be able to get away with this. They might be able to go independent and say, "We sell whether you're, you're whether you're through the cable company or over the internet. However, you get HBO, you pay us this much a month." They might be able to do that and actually be profitable, but most of the other channels could not, and because they are basically relying on this subscription revenue every month. 
So that's the big. Well, and not to mention the cable companies, which get kickbacks from these right, things too. Right, so you know, there's right. a there's a lot of money floating around, yeah. and that's that's what it always comes down to, is where's the money flowing? Yep. Uh, and I think that's it's still it's still in favor of the cable companies right now. But I think it's probably not as strong as it was, say, five years ago. In in any sense, I think that's true. Yeah. Well, one side comment about what something Dan said earlier about the TiVo stream that it doesn't the new device doesn't stream to iOS devices. I, I mean, I agree. I think this is something eventually is going to be built into every TiVo because yep. right now it's a hundred dollar add on. It's we, 130, we, 130, Dan. That's, oh, that's we, bought like, for, we bought ours for we bought ours for a hundred. It's like honestly, the cost of another Amazon. box, though. I can buy yeah. an Apple TV for that. We bought we bought a TiVo stream last over the holidays last year for ninety nine bucks, and um, there's no monthly fee for it. It's you know it assumes that you have other TiVos with monthly fees, and. It is the best purchase, tech purchase of the past year for us. We use it all the time. We download stuff to our TiVos to watch them. I watch TiVo stuff from a different room on, you know, on my iPad. It's great. But like you said, it's, it seems really weird that you're already buying hardware. You're paying a certain amount every month to use that hardware. And then you have to buy another box to stream. And let me, so. and let me just throw this out there. Um, you know, hypothetically, were I to use a piece of software such as Plex, which is a media center software, through which you could, again, hypothetically play content uh, that was television shows, for example, that you got from somewhere. You can already do this. <laughs> Technologically, it's not very hard. It's just a question of, you know, what, how, how, what content you want to be able to have access to. Right, and it's bringing it to the consumer level because we can use Plex, and I've used Plex, but I don't use Plex because after a while, it's just like, this is so complicated, um, setting up the server, trying to get it to work on these various devices. What we really need is something my family can use and not just me. I, w- yeah. I would love to write an article about the use of Plex because I think it's actually a great piece of software. And once you set it up, it works really well um, for, again, hypothetical types of content. But I choose not to you know, write an article about that because I, I want to remain free and at liberty. <laughs> well, I think that I think TiVo has a huge a hugely compelling feature here, but the the combination of the TiVo stream and the new TiVo app for iOS, you know, if you make that standard on every DVR, that's a huge selling point that I I mean, most people I know don't even realize it exists as a separate product and that what you can do with it. It seems silly to not build that in. I think that that's a huge value add. Yeah. It works fantastically for us. I mean, we, we use it all the time and even just being able to control like the new app, the things it lets you do with a Premiere DVR or a Romeo DVR, any of the newer DVRs, it's fantastic. And so I think that, you know, I think TiVo is at a point right now where they're really struggling to say, we've got to make ourselves compelling to people because every cable company has their own DVR box. People are getting set-top boxes from Apple and Roku and Amazon, and we've got to find a way to make ourselves, you know, uh, attractive. And that's something I think they could do that would make it hugely attractive, especially to people like us. But they're still trying to milk it. Well, it's a complicated market now. I mean, this is really like one of those instances where you think that Apple or somebody like Apple could jump in and save the day, right? By giving you one box that just works, that everybody in the world knows how to operate instead of trying to configure all these various components, having six boxes, having Netflix on, as you say, everything, including your toaster, there's a, this rich opportunity there, but the difficulty is, of course, the providers. That's, I think that's the problem with everybody is that if you don't also bring in all the content, not just some of the content, but all the content, you're stymied. And so, therefore, the, 
the Comcasts and the Time Warners and the DirecTVs of the world will continue to make this difficult and make it difficult because it's also tied in with your other services. So it isn't just about TV anymore, but it's now, oh, well, that's how you get your calls and that's how you get your internet access. And this is how we've tied you up so that if you want to leave one of those components, it's actually more expensive to use our service than if you just kept it in. So it's that customer lock-in that, that all of them are doing now, which makes this harder to move forward. Well, I thought it was funny to hear the, uh, I saw an interview with the the CEO of HBO a few months back where you know, we, we already talked about how if you have an HBO subscription, if you want to use the HBO Go app, you've got to sign in with your, you know, your service provider, your, you mm-hmm. know, your cable provider's credentials to get access to that. And they asked him something about, you know, do you, what do you think about all these people who share their credentials so people can watch Game of Thrones with their friends? And, stuff? and he basically said, you know what? Let them do it. It's just more people watching our stuff. And I kind of laughed because I was like, this is a guy who really gets it, and you can tell he's not happy with the current situation. Right, and Netflix said the same thing, which is like, well, how do you feel about people using Netflix streaming? And streaming? No problem, it's advertising. For us, we're fine with that. So, yeah, I mean, so it's pretty clear to see who's in the middle that's trying to put up a blockade here, and it's uh, it's not us, and it's not them. Yep. Yep. Okay, so uh, we will count that as the end. Because when Dan Morin says, yep, it means... That's, you know, that's how you know that it's true. That's, it's true, and it's time to finish up. So uh, I would like to thank both you, Dan. We'll see you thank you, time. Chris. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and you, you Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we'll be back next week. And Serenity will be back, so she and I will gab about something or another. And uh, thank you very much for listening. If you have any comments or questions... Drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com.